Johnson. And this game is underway with a bang. This is where the lacrosse area gathers to talk Wisconsin sports. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Join in by phone or text at 796-2558. Now, here's Grant Bills. So the week after the Super Bowl, we we talk endlessly about the Super Bowl. We break down every little play, every little coaching decision, every little blow of the whistle or throw of the flag from the referee. And I think we do it mostly because we're in denial that football is actually done and that Super Bowl is over and we're going to have to go another six months until the next NFL game. Of course, we have the XFL coming up and we'll see how that goes. But we talk about the Super Bowl endlessly and break it down endlessly because I I think we're in denial that football is over. And we want to squeeze every last drop out of the last football game of the year. Now this year, we're pretty lucky because the Super Bowl was pretty awesome. Two really, really good teams, an amazing defense, an amazing offense, two excellent head coaches both in different positions in their career. There's a lot to talk about. There's a lot to chew on even after the fact and in the days after the game. Now, I want to talk about a couple of the big storylines from Sunday. One or two might be an overreaction. We might be making a mountain out of a molehill, but some, they might actually have an ounce of truth to them. So I I don't want to necessarily turn this into a corny game, like a spot the overreaction or a buy and sell I, like we're just we're just gonna talk about it and see what conclusion we come to. My name is my name is Grant Bills. This is the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. Today we are gonna talk about the Super Bowl. We're gonna talk about the NFC and AFC playoff picture. And I want to point out something pretty interesting uh, that started last year, and I expect to continue into next season. So we're gonna talk about the NFL playoffs. We're gonna t- uh, speak to Evan Flood who is, well, he's pretty much the man when it comes to Wisconsin basketball, high school basketball, actual basketball at UW-Madison, the insider for Max Preps and for CBS. We're going to talk to him coming up at 5.30. He was at Mitchell Fieldhouse on Saturday for Onalaska Lakeville North and Central Minnehaha. We're going to get his thoughts on those games and the outlook for Central and Onalaska and beyond as well as some of those players who are currently at those schools are looking on to play uh, college basketball, basketball at the next level. So we're going to talk to Evan, and we'll also begin to touch on the NBA trade deadline coming up before 6 o'clock. But because it is the week after the Super Bowl, and we're in denial about football being over, and we want to break down and talk about every little detail while we still can, I want to start with that. Yesterday, I talked about what I thought to be the two biggest storylines from the Super Bowl on Sunday. We touched on them both. I kind of knew that these would be the conversations to last the rest of the week, maybe the rest of the offseason, and just maybe into next season as well. Now, I think one of these storylines is an overreaction, and we're making too big of a deal out of it. The other one, I think, is is pretty accurate. All right, let's talk about those two stories. Let's revisit them. So the first one, of course, is Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes, look, after he kind of got over his injury this year, And once they got past that awkward, weird loss against the Titans, he was pretty much flawless. And the Chiefs were pretty much flawless. In fact, they weren't flawless. They they were. They weren't almost flawless. They were. They did not lose once they lost that awkward game to the Titans. And Patrick Mahomes, who is now 24 years old, has won a league MVP, a Super Bowl champion, a Super Bowl MVP. He's been to the Pro Bowl twice, and he has been named a first-team All-Pro. And he's only started for two years. Whatever superlatives people use for Patrick Mahomes 
are warranted. Absolutely warranted. There is no overreaction in the praise of Patrick Mahomes. Not a bit. His accomplishments by age 24, like, who is another quarterback that has gotten off to this fast of a start? Right? I know people talked about Dan Marino. uh, uh, People talk about Kurt Warner a little bit. But Patrick Mahomes has put up the numbers, has won the awards, and now also won the Super Bowl and the Super Bowl MVP. You can't get off to, well, I don't think you can get off to a better start in your career. Two full seasons starting, one season you came within a coin flip away from making the Super Bowl. In fact, if it wasn't for an offside penalty, he would have made the Super Bowl. And then in his second year starting, going all the way to win the Super Bowl. And throughout his playoff run this year, had comebacks. He was down 24 nothing against the, uh, the Texans, down 10 to nothing against the Titans, and down 10 points in the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl. Didn't matter. He made it happen. Because Patrick Mahomes is that good. People lumping praise on Patrick Mahomes. This is not an overreaction. Whatever superlative, whatever compliment you want to give to Patrick Mahomes is absolutely warranted. Absolutely. Not an overreaction at all. Now, the interesting story moving forward will be about Kansas City's capability to continue to compete when they have to pay Patrick Mahomes a ton of money. Because they're going to have to pay him a lot of money. A lot of, like, he's going to break the bank. He's going to set the market. He's going to set that benchmark. However you want to explain it, he is going to break the bank. And Kansas City is going to have to figure out how to build a team around him when he is not the 300-something highest payer, uh, highest paid player in the NFL, which he currently is. So that's the storyline moving forward. The only thing that will stop Patrick Mahomes at this rate is injury and a paycheck and a, and a cut of salary that is so large that it completely hampers the rest of his team. But I think we we get a little bit gun-shy around the salary cap. Like, good general managers figure it out. The Patriots have always figured it out. For the most part, the Packers have always figured it out. We'll see if the Chiefs... And, and I think their front office is spectacular, and I think Brett, Brett Veach is great, and they have obviously moved on from John Dorsey. That will be the discussion. That will be the challenge moving forward. Not Patrick Mahomes... But how does the Chiefs organization continue to put a team around him that's good enough to compete? Much like Aaron Rodgers, right? After he won his Super Bowl in, in what was his, just a couple years into his career as a starter. The Packers didn't do the best of job keeping that high-level defense, that high-level offense around him. That'll be the challenge for the Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes, whatever people are saying about Patrick Mahomes is 100% warranted. A lot of people are also talking about Kyle Shanahan and Jimmy Garoppolo, and whether or not they were exposed. And we talked a little bit about that story yesterday, and I knew that was going to be the story throughout the week and maybe into the offseason as well. I think it's a really, really interesting concept. Kyle Shanahan, who is everyone's favorite coach for the entire year, and Jimmy Garoppolo, who is the perfect game manager for the entire year, have one bad performance, and now people question whether or not they were exposed. And people I, I, I heard today saying this is outrageous. It's a huge overreaction. You're basing all your opinions on one game. Okay, okay, maybe, maybe, but you don't have to look very far. Just look at the LA Rams after last year and after the Super Bowl last year. A great head coach, everybody's favorite head coach last year with also what we believe to be a fairly limited quarterback. Not an elite quarterback, but good enough, elevated by Sean McVay and the team around him, much like Jimmy Garoppolo. And they didn't get even. They didn't get back to the playoffs. They didn't even get back to the playoffs. They didn't even really get close. 
Their O-line was aging. Their team was getting expensive. I actually think there are a few similarities. The Rams of last year and the San Francisco 49ers presently, they're not the exact same team, but they do have some similarities. The Rams, for example, talk about their aging offensive line. Andrew Whitworth is 38. By the start of next season, Joe Staley will be 36. Much like the 49ers this year pushed a couple chips to the middle of the table and traded for Emmanuel Sanders, the Rams got aggressive last year as well. And in this offseason, signing Clay Matthews, trading for Jalen Ramsey in midseason, and last year trading for Dante Fowler. What people don't realize is when you get aggressive and you sign free agents and you trade away draft picks, yeah, you're getting players, you're getting proven commodities. A, a lot of people, if, it, if they could have their way, they trade every draft pick. Because you want the proven player. You don't want the prospect. You don't want the college kid. Okay, well, that logic is great. But financially, you can't run an NFL team that way. Because those players on their rookie deals, your first, second, third round picks, contribute. They're a big part of the team, but you pay them so little. And drafting well and getting good players to contribute on your team well on their rookie contract, that's how you financially manage a team well. And if you're trading all your picks away, as the Rams have done then your roster gets really, really expensive. And the Niners trading a couple of picks away this year as well, one for Emmanuel Sanders. That roster is going to get expensive. I'm not saying the 49ers are going to become the Los Angeles Rams. Just pointing out a couple interesting similarities. What if we compared these 49ers to the Chicago Bears of last year? Pretty similar, right? A great Offensive-minded head coach in Matt Nagy doesn't trust his quarterback, Mitch Trubisky, doesn't trust him in the big game. They ultimately lose because Mitch Trubisky can't make the throws. And then next year, what happened? The team splintered a little bit. The defense all of a sudden wasn't as good. And the offense didn't have the moxie. Well, Kyle Shanahan, a lead head coach, had been doing a great job elevating Jimmy Garoppolo, obviously in the Super Bowl, didn't trust him, ran out the clock at the end of the half, it's easy to project the 49ers being elite, being amazing next year. But we thought the Rams were going to be amazing the year after they made the Super Bowl. Nobody expected the Bears to regress the way they did this past year. Just saying. There's some interesting similarities. So don't cast off the Shanahan, the Jimmy G talk. Don't cast it off as an overreaction. Because there's precedent in the last year alone to show that sometimes elite teams, elite head coaches can take a step back very, very, very quickly. Keep that in the back of your mind. Keep that in the back of your mind. When we come back, I want to take a look at the playoff picture, this year's playoff picture, and last year's playoff picture. Because every single year, there's a little bit of turnover. New teams make the playoffs, and teams who were in the playoffs previously fall out of the playoffs. I want to look at the playoffs two years ago, look at this last year playoff picture, and maybe just try to get an idea of what it might look like next fall when the postseason starts. Let's do that next. The Wisco Sports Show returns, presented by Play It Again Sports, back in a moment here on WKTY. Wisco Sports Show rolls on here on WKTY. I am your host, Grant Bills. Hope you're having a good night. Thanks for being here. Coming up in about 10 minutes, we're going to speak with Evan Flood. He's the Wisconsin Insider for 24-7 Sports, CBS Sports, and covers high school hoops for Prep Hoops Wisconsin. He is everywhere. He is at every big game. He's found himself uh, in lacrosse or in Onalaska a couple of times already this year. We're going to get his thoughts on what went down on Saturday in Mitchell Fieldhouse. Between Minnehaha, Central, Lakeville North, on Alaska. Talk about some of those teams and their outlook 
for maybe trying to get to the state tournament this year, and also a couple of players on those teams looking to play basketball at the next level. So we have a lot of interesting stuff to cover with Evan. We're going to talk to him coming up here in about 10 minutes on the Five Star Telecom Talk and Text Line. It is Super Bowl week. It is the the last football game for months uh, was played on Sunday. Of course, I suppose we have the XFL. We'll see if that catches on because we also had, what was that? I, I'm getting the, the football league names confused with wrestling league names. We have the WWE. Now we have, what is it, All Elite Wrestling, the AEW. Like, it's too many. It's just too many acronyms. But we had a failed football league last year that lasted, uh, what, a week? Or it felt like a week, and then we will have the XFL. But I'm talking real football, NFL football, college football. We now have to wait months uh, until we get to sit down on Saturday or Sunday and, and watch another game. So we like to squeeze every last drop out of the Super Bowl. Talk about every little detail because I'm in denial a little bit about football ending. I'm, sh- I'm sure you're the same way. It hasn't really hit you yet. Something interesting to take away from this season The playoff picture in the NFL is so fluid. Unlike in baseball, where we see a lot of the same teams every year, and and the NBA, where for the most part we see the same teams every single year, the NFL, there is a a huge amount of turnover season to season. You can expect two or three new playoff teams on a year-to-year basis in both the AFC and the NFC. And if you bet sports, you understand this, right? Because when you're making your preseason picks... You're betting on futures for teams, and I don't bet because I would just I would spend all my money and and I would be homeless to be completely honest. If you bet futures and you bet the 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 the, the outlook of the season on certain teams, you you keep in mind, okay, well I got to get a couple new teams in the playoffs this year. I got to keep that in mind because it's always the case a couple of new teams sneak into the playoff picture every year. The trick is, and I don't have a handle on this, which is why I can't bet sports. The trick is trying to guess or trying to guess what teams emerge. And what teams regress. For example, the Buffalo Bills this year. Is that a is that a one-year thing? Is that a flash in the pan? Or is that the start of a couple of years where we could see them in the playoff picture, either winning the AFC East or via a wild card? These are the things you try to predict if you bet sports. And if you bet sports, you understand that every couple of years you have to factor in a couple new teams in the playoff picture every single year because the NFL is so fluid, up and down, up and down, new teams all the time. So this year, the playoff picture for the AFC, the Ravens, Chiefs, Patriots, Texans, Bills, Titans, and the NFC, the Packers, the Saints, the Seahawks, the Eagles, and the Vikings. Now, I want to talk mostly about the NFC because we only have so much time, and the majority of our listeners of this show are Packers fans, some Vikings fans, some Bears fans, maybe some Lions fans, I don't know, but we spend most of our Sundays watching Fox, watching the NFC matchups because those are the games that pertain to our teams, the Packers, the Bears, the Vikings, or whatever. So I want to spend most of our time on the NFC, but let's start briefly with the AFC. It's interesting because the four teams at the top of the playoff picture in 2019-2020 were the same four teams in 2018-2019. The Chiefs, the Patriots, the Texans, and the Ravens. It's the bottom two teams that swapped from last year to this year. The Chargers and the Colts in 2018-2019 were replaced by the Bills and the Titans in 2019 2020. I think the Ravens will regress slightly. I I still think the Ravens win their division. And by regressing slightly, the Ravens could go from 14 and 2 to 12 and 4. I don't think the Browns are going to beat the Ravens. I don't think the Steelers are going to beat the Ravens, although Big Ben coming back is interesting. And I think the Bengals are still a couple years away, although I hope Joe Burrow is exciting. So I think the Ravens are still in the playoffs. 
The Chiefs are, barring a Patrick Mahomes injury, they are a mortal lock to make the playoffs next year and win their division. The Patriots, I believe, will win their division, although I think Miami is much improved, and I think Buffalo has taken a step up as a team. And we'll see what happens if the Jets, if they could just stay healthy and, and prevent their quarterback from getting mono, that should be a more interesting division. I still think the Patriots win their division. So I think Ravens, Chiefs, Patriots are probably the 1-2-3 seed in some sense, assuming Tom Brady comes back to the Patriots, which I'm expecting he will. That leaves us the Texans, the Bills, and the Titans. Which one of those three teams, because I bet one of those three teams returns to the playoffs next year. The Titans don't know who their quarterback is. And Derrick Henry is a free agent. Uh, call me crazy. I don't, I don't think the Titans are going to be back in the playoffs. The Bills are interesting. The thing with the Bills is, was this playoff berth a one-year thing? Where Sean McDermott and Leslie Frazier found a way to make Josh Allen work and make their defense and running game work? Or was that the start of something? That's the thing that sports bettors are going to have to try to predict. The Texans, I don't see how the Texans get any better. They have no picks. They have nothing to trade, and they don't have a lot of cap space. And at some point, they're going to have to pay Deshaun Watson. I don't understand how the Texans get better. I feel like the Texans, with Deshaun Watson, with Bill O'Brien, are going to be stuck in the gear that they are currently stuck in, which means they're probably going to go 10-6. and six. They're going to play the Saturday of Wild Card Weekend like they always do. They're probably going to beat the Bills or a team of that ilk, and then they'll be eliminated the next week. So Ravens, Chiefs, Patriots, Texans, I, those four seem like pretty good, pretty good options with probably the four best quarterbacks in the AFC. Bills, maybe? I don't know. Colts, maybe? Those two bottom spots, I think, continue to rotate. Now, the NFC, which is what really intrigues me, this year the playoff picture, the Niners, the Packers, and the Saints, who are all 13-3, and three. the Seahawks, who are 11-5, and five, and then the two wildcard teams, the Eagles, or excuse me, the Eagles, who are division champs at 9-7, and seven, and the Vikings, who are a wildcard team at 10-6. and six. This is what I don't understand. Packers, Saints, Seahawks, Eagles, Vikings, 49ers. Did you realize that the 49ers, the Packers, and the Vikings, three of the six teams, missed the playoffs the year before? It's so hard to predict after the Super Bowl and after the postseason. It's so easy to say, well, the Packers will be back next year. The 49ers will be back next year. We just don't know. Even the team that made the Super Bowl, the 49ers, the Rams made the Super Bowl a year ago. Very similar structure. Really, really good team. Really, really good head coach. And a pretty good quarterback. That was the Sean McVay, Jared Goff Rams that made the Super Bowl last year. Doesn't that sound eerily similar to the 49ers that just barely missed out on beating the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes? Now, I'm not insinuating, and we talked about this to start the show, I'm not hinting that the 49ers will miss the playoffs, but the 49ers have some eerily similar traits to the Saints or to the Rams and the Bears. Excuse me, two teams that were really, really good last year and didn't make the postseason this year. The NFC North next year is going to be fascinating. It's going to be fascinating. I don't know how the Packers win 13 games again, but I don't know how the Vikings, how can the Vikings get better? I guess that's my question. How Much like the Texans, how can the Vikings, in their current iteration, their current makeup, how do they get better? Do they have to hit a couple of draft picks? Do they have to sign a free agent? Do they have to make a switch at quarterback or coordinator or head coach? Because I think as the Vikings are currently constructed, I think they are destined to go 10-6, and 11-5, and five, and win the division and, and, and maybe win a playoff game or two and then a divisional round exit. 
I don't think the Vikings take a big leap. I don't know if they regress. The Eagles can't get worse. Like, the, the Eagles were rolling out, like, lawn furniture to play wide receiver the last year. So I think the Eagles probably make the playoffs. Do the Cowboys make the Mike McCarthy and Dak Prescott, that's going to be fascinating. And who's the Saints quarterback? If Drew Brees retires, do you think Taysom Hill can get the Saints to the postseason? I actually think the only lock in the playoff field to be back in the postseason next year, interestingly enough, is the Seahawks. The Packers could regress. The 49ers, as I've said already, very similar to the Bears, very similar to the Rams. They could regress. The Saints, Drew Brees could retire. The Eagles, Carson Wentz get hurt, which he has a tendency to do. They could miss the playoffs. And who knows with the Vikings. I think the only lock of this year's playoff field for the NFC to be in the postseason next year is the Seattle Seahawks because it's Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson. And whether they have to go 9-7 and seven and get in or go 11-5 and five and get in, they just are in every game. They're competitive in every game and they hang tough and they believe in their quarterback and their head coach. The Seahawks are the only team in the NFC this year who I can almost guarantee can be in the postseason next year. It's gonna, God, it's going to be fascinating. You just can't predict these things. You just can't. There's a couple new postseason teams in the mix every single year because there's such fluidity. There's such transition every single year. It's so fun to speculate. So fun to try to guess. We're out of time. We got to talk to Evan Flood, uh, insider for CBS and 24-7 Sports. He knows everything about basketball in the state of Wisconsin. We're going to talk Central on Alaska. Johnny Davis, Jordan Davis, Terrell Stutley. We're going to cover it all. Coming up next, he'll join us on the Five Star Telecom Talk and Text Line. The Wisco Sports Show brought to you, as always, by Play It Against Sports. Stick around here on WKTY. The Wisco Sports Show rolls on here on WKTY. My name is Grant Bills. I'm your host. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks for tuning in. I'm sure a lot of you were tuning in or watching, or maybe you were even there at Mitchell uh, Hall on the campus UWL on Saturday for some excellent, excellent basketball. Central playing Minnehaha Academy on Alaska, taking on Lakeville North. That was the nightcap, the late game. It was a, a, a pretty incredible event, let alone a basketball game. It was really a sight to see. And Evan Flood, who joins us now on the Five Star Telecom Talk and Text Line, Evan is an insider 24-7 sports, CBS sports, and he is always doing his thing covering high school hoops for Prep Hoops Wisconsin. Evan, probably the best way to sum it up is wherever the big game is, wherever the action is, you're, you are there covering it. You're there taking it in. And, and, and Saturday was definitely one of those big games. You just had to be there. Uh, It was pretty cool. Now, Central didn't win. And, of course, here in the lacrosse area, we always like to cheer for Central and on Alaska, especially against some of these bigger teams. I I talked to you just for a brief minute before the game and kind of what your expectations and predictions were. What did you expect coming in on Saturday? And were your expectations met? Or were you a little bit surprised with the result? Minnehaha uh, winning by just about 10 points. Central coming short. Did Did you expect what you saw? Or were you a little bit surprised by that game? A little of both. I saw these two teams match up last year in lacrosse at the Midwest Players Classic. And Minnehaha, who was a little bit young, still handled Central, uh, pulled away late, and it wasn't really a game down to the wire. Uh, you know, Minnehaha plays in a lot of high-profile games, um, you know, against teams from across the country. I uh, wasn't sure if this was going to be a game they necessarily showed up for, and then you start seeing fans violent quickly and you got a sold out Mitchell Hall buzzing atmosphere I mean that place was was almost full about an hour before tip-off and then you kind of realize okay uh you know they are going to give it their their best shot here and this is going to be something they can get up for but but I was surprised that Central 
was able to hang around as long as, as they did. Okay. Um, I know Johnny had the great game, 42 points, uh, but this is a mini haha team that's got three you know potential future pros on it, three guys that I believe are all top 15 prospects, um, three separate recruiting classes. Jalen Suggs, obviously a top 10 kid in the 2020 class, the, the Gonzaga commit who may go overseas for a year instead. Uh, leading the way, but you know, for Central to, to hang into that um, and, and really have a chance late. I mean, they, they got bit by the free throw bug. It probably could have sent that game to overtime, maybe even stole a win if they were able to cash in at the free throw line. You know, I was pleasantly surprised at how they were able to hang with this team, who I thought you know gave them a, a pretty good shot as well. I wouldn't say it was a game where Minnehaha necessarily didn't have you know their best stuff through, throughout the uh, 36 minutes there. Yeah, it it was a fun game, and it was competitive until probably about four minutes to go when we realized there were going to be a lot of free throws. The game was slowing down, and Central wasn't exactly shooting great from the line. They were 18 of 30 as a team. Let's compare Johnny Davis and Jalen Suggs, because I've watched Johnny Davis, I I, I don't know, I can't even count how many times this year. This was my first time watching Jalen Suggs in person. Johnny Davis, 42 points, 10 rebounds. Jalen Suggs just under 30. He had 28. For people who maybe were watching these two players for the first time, Evan, explain what Jalen Suggs has that makes him, you think, possibly a future lottery pick, a top 10 prospect. What's the difference between Jalen Suggs and Johnny Davis? What, what does Johnny Davis need to do better, or what, what does Jalen Suggs have that Johnny doesn't? I think you, you start with the skill on the ball, and you see some of the things he can do. Uh, when he's got the ball in his hands, uh, the, the ability to break people down off the dribble. Um, you know, I would say Johnny is is more of a bulldog. You know, he wants to sure. go through you, and, and I think that's where a lot of you know a lot of people don't necessarily think his game may translate to the next level. Because yeah, you can do that in high school, but can you do that when everybody's just as athletic and as strong as you? Uh, we'll we'll see. But but you see Suggs late in the game how he's able to take that uh, thing over and, and really. I thought was the catalyst for why Minnehaha pulled away. Just the ability to shake defenders. Uh, you know, Jordan Davis is a really good hot ball defender, and, and he, he made it look easy at times. Uh, you know, with the explosive ability he has uh, to, to break people down, get to the hole, and get there before the outside defense can, can even recover. And, and then he's so quick as well that he kind of makes you pick your poison when you talk about how good of a three-point shooter he is. So I would say that you know that is a big difference in his game, but you know Johnny, um, you know his jump shot has come a long way in the last three or four years. I mean, this was a guy that you know defenders were willing to give that up time and time again. He can't do that anymore. But but I would say another big difference is just the predictability. I mean, Johnny, I think he can pick up on it. His tendencies, he's got certain spots, certain shots yeah. that he's that likes specifically in the mid range. I mean, Suggs just keeps you guessing constantly. He's got so much, so many bags or, or so many uh, tricks in his bag that that he's tough to really pinpoint. So, you know, that'll be something for for Johnny to work on at, at Wisconsin, and it's just be a little less predictable now. I mean, I, I've seen him since he was in fifth or sixth grade. So, yeah. I mean, I, I pick on it, pick up on it more than, than you know any defender is going to on this point. I can kind of tell what's coming, but. You know, eventually when you get to college, those scouting reports are going to become more detailed, and those college coaches will point it out to their teams. I, I think one one small note on Jalen Suggs, Evan, I, I was blown away by his passing and his ability from half court to have his eyes up looking for teammates who were down under the basket. I have not seen Central allow so many backdoor cuts or transition buckets where somebody just snuck behind him, and I think a big part of that was due to 
Jalen Suggs from half court is like he was throwing dimes to players who were down on the block. And, and I don't know if Central had seen that before. That was really, really impressive. Yeah, and I missed that too. That, that was a uh, he had a couple big plays in, in the passing game that that helped put it away too. The, the last one, you know, I think he fired it just from inside half court, he threw it right under the rim, just a laser before Central could could even react to it. And, and he was doing this. Remember, you know, Chet Holmgren had fouled out at that point. Prince Aligbe had fouled out at, at that point. So um, I thought it was really impressive to know that. Central was going to gang up on him. They, they were going to try to do their best to take the ball out of their hands. And he had a great feel for his teammates as well, specifically late in, in that game and in the trust he had in them to, to make plays when he when he couldn't get the shot. You know, I thought was something that, that was really special in that game too. But, yeah, that last one, he just fired from inside half court. And he just put it on a dime but before Central could, could, could even get anywhere close to to protecting the rim there. Yeah, he, he he made it look so easy, and I think I might have got caught up with what Johnny Davis is doing. Meanwhile, Jalen Suggs is kind of doing his thing and, and making it look really, really easy. Evan Flood, uh, Wisconsin insider, uh, covers high school hoops all over the state. He joins us on the Five Star Telecom Talk and Text Line. L- look, Evan, we're now kind of focusing on Central, finishing out conference play, going into the playoffs, and, and you think they're going to match up with Onalaska very early as they typically do. Let's forget about Onalaska for a second. Central obviously has their goal to get back to state and, and, and improve on their result from last year, which I believe was Milwaukee-Washington, and that game coming down to the wire. Central has lost three of their last four, including some all-elite teams, right? Long Island Lutheran, uh, Scotlandville, two teams. They beat South Miami. They mixed in a win against Holman in this stretch as well. And then, of course, they lost to Minnehaha. They've lost three of four games now to these really, really elite teams what do they need to do differently, right? Because when the state tournament rolls around, if they're able to get by Anna and get through the playoffs, as we saw last year, they're going to be matched up against really, really good teams. How do they flip some of these results? Because they've been in these games. They were in it with Minnehaha. What do they need to do come state tournament time to make sure they're winning some of these games, that they're closing these games out? They need to be more balanced and get Johnny Davis some help. I mean, Johnny's been phenomenal in a lot of these games. You mentioned the 42 against Minnehaha. Um, I know he had 30-something out there in Florida, and I think 28 the game before that. They're not giving him uh, a ton of support. And I thought the uh, loss of Noel Parcher last year would be one of the, the bigger ones in the state that maybe didn't go as, as talked about. Because you look at what he gave them uh, in, in big games last season. I, mean, I went to the second on Alaska meeting yeah. uh, in, the, in the regular season. He, he made critical plays for on Alaska and Noah Parcher was one of those guys that stepped up. I know they didn't beat Washington, but a big reason they had that lead late was because of Parcher just being a senior and hitting timely shots um, and big shots that, that maybe he hadn't hit you know, throughout the course of the season. That, that was just a kid stepping up. I don't think they have that, that presence necessarily. Um, and you go back to the first meeting with, with on Alaska where, where Johnny had a great game. I forget how much he finished with, but, but he was in the 30s. And, and then the drop, the, the statistical drop-off was noticeable uh, in, in the box score. And I don't know if they can get past a team like on Alaska, who's probably, uh, you know, they're number one right now because they beat Central, but yeah. probably the second best and most talented, or at least most talented team that, that Central is going to face the rest of the season and maybe their biggest I'm sure their biggest obstacle to winning the state championship but but they can't beat a team like that with Johnny going one on five and you know part of it is you know they, they've got some young pieces uh, that, that are still learning and, and still need to get 
you know, valuable crunch time reps. I'm sure that trip to Florida is going to pay dividends. I'm sure that mini haha game is going to pay dividends for, you know, their, their role players, uh, Noah Compton, the, the freshman, and I, I forget the name of the point guard uh, this year that, that's taken over, but I like Devon him. Field, Devon Fielding. Yeah, and he's made some positive steps and, and able to do some things. Uh, but, but obviously, you know, Terrence Thompson, you know, Jordan Davis, if they can match anything close to, to what Davis is, is giving them because you know he's going to show up yeah. in those biggest moments. And that was a, a big reason why Central got passed on Alaska. Uh, what was all three times last season was his ability in crunch time. Nobody could match his energy. Uh, but, but now they, I don't think they have the same firepower as last year. So I think it's, it's critical that everyone else raises their, their game to another level as well, specifically those role players that, you know, you can tell are still kind of getting comfortable um, and then finding the, their roles and, you know, when they need to step up. Yeah, and Evan, while I have you here, I want to ask you one more thing really quickly. We've been talking, obviously, a lot about Kobe King and his departure from uh, from Wisconsin. He's moving on. It's been pretty polarizing. I- I'm kind of on the side of Wisconsin and Kobe King. I'm not really angry or upset at either. A lot of people have been calling him a quitter. It sounds like he's been toughing it out uh, for a long time now and-, and-, and was trying to get through it and trying to avoid quitting, but it finally caught up and he needed to do something else this year, which is why he ultimately left the program. What can you tell our listeners who are Lacrosse Central fans who watched Kobe King in high school and we loved watching him at Wisconsin and we were excited to see what he was going to do? Do you have any kind of update or any kind of closure on the situation? Kind of, I know you're an insider. I don't want to ask you for, for the dirt. I'm sure you have lots of details. But what can you tell us about, about our, our player Kobe King and maybe what's next for him? Yeah, you know, it's just a strange situation because it's so unlike Kobe and anybody who knows him to think that he would walk away mid-season like that, especially after he had been a starter all year. You know, he had broken out this season. He was Wisconsin's leading scorer in Big Ten play. And then, you know, some of his comments in the media, you know, anybody who knows Greg Gard, you know, that just painted a picture that, that was so unlike him. So, you know, I, I tend to believe that the truth is somewhere in the middle. Yeah. I do believe that Gard probably coached King harder, overcoached him, and you can see why, because he's a player with, with so much upside still, so un, so much untapped potential. You can see, you know, Guard, who you've got to remember, grew up as a coach under Bo Ryan, and, and Bo Ryan was, was, you know, absolutely ruthless on some of his best players, you know, whether it was Sam Decker, uh, Devin Harris, you know, a lot of those guys, uh, you know, often, uh, I'm sure, had one foot out the door, you know, dealing with a guy like Bo Ryan. I, I don't think guard, you know, maybe goes to, to that extent, but, but you can certainly see Kobe's side where, you know, maybe he's being coached harder than he expected, maybe guards on him harder than than he anticipated, and, and maybe guards treating him differently than, than other other players. Um, you know, Wisconsin's side, you know, I, I think is, is – Pretty much what I just said, you know, trying to get that untapped potential out of him. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's important to, I think, understand, you know, as any player, you know, if you're not being yelled at, that that's probably not a good sign. I mean, your coach doesn't care anymore. Yeah. And, you know, Kobe, I, I, don't, I don't know how much this plays into a factor, but some people have brought up, you know, he didn't grow up with a dad in his life and a strong, you know, male presence. So, so maybe he takes that differently. I, I don't know if that you know, plays a factor into as well. But, yeah, you know, you're right. This this goes back two years. You know, there were rumors that, that he was going to leave the program after his true freshman season, which, you know, I, I kind of brushed off because it didn't make any sense. He played 10 games. Uh, 
Thompson was on the verge of starting him before he broke his, his kneecap and, and suffered that injury. So, you know, I, I do think it just got to a point where, where he couldn't go on. I also think there's some stuff going on that, that hasn't necessarily come to light that, that you know, would certainly provide more clarity to this situation. But, uh, you know, knowing both sides, it's really hard to, to point a finger at, at either one of them. Um, now obviously, you don't like to see a, a starter or anybody leave the program mid-season like that. But you know, maybe it, it, it's the best for both sides that they move on and, and cut the cord quicker, rather than situation getting any worse than it already apparently was. Yeah, I, I think I understand. I understand, and, and I agree with just about everything you said. I think the truth is somewhere. Uh, in the middle between both sides. Evan, I appreciate your insight as always. I'm a little bummed we didn't have time to get to on Alaska. I would love an opportunity to get you back on the show maybe in a month or two when Central and Anna play again or before the before the playoffs or before the state tournament because I, I I hate that we didn't get to Anna, but there's so much interesting stuff going on with Central and Kobe King that uh, I appreciate your analysis and your insight as always, Evan. Enjoy all these, these awesome games you get to go to. Enjoy these awesome players, Evan. Uh, and I hope we get to talk again soon. All right, yeah, no problem, Pre- yeah, have a good one, Evan. That's Evan Flood, uh, Wisconsin Insider for 24-7 Sports, CBS Sports, uh, and, and he covers hoops. He's always at the big games, no matter if they're up north, if they're in Milwaukee, if they're over here in Lacrosse, He always gets to be at the big games. I'm a little jealous, not going to lie. It'd be a, be a pretty cool gig, and, and Drew Kelly and myself and Hunter and our, and our whole team here at WKTY uh, have some pretty good opportunities to see some elite basketball like Central, like on Alaska. On Alaska, by the way, and I feel bad for brushing them over. I, I would have loved to talk about the Hilltoppers. Anna might be the better team. In fact, so far this year, Anna has been the better team. Like, I, I watched the Anna Central game the first time around, and not going to lie, as, as, an, as an onlooker, I was kind of pulling for Anna Alaska because I wanted to see, I, I don't know if you necessarily want to call it David beating Goliath, but last year Central was able to get them all three times. I wanted to see Anna Alaska win to make this rivalry a little bit more balanced, and, and so the stakes would be even higher the second and hopefully the third time around. We're going to talk more about on Alaska, I promise, but Central uh, and Kobe King and Johnny Davis after this last weekend uh, certainly demand a little conversation. By the way, on Alaska killed Lakeville North on Saturday. Like, that thing was done. Anna went on like an 8 to nothing run to start the game. Lakeville North came behind to tie it, and then at that point, it was nothing but on Alaska. They got every shot they wanted, and if those shots didn't go in, they got the rebound because they are an incredible team. And as Evan said, and this is probably the biggest possible compliment to Onalaska, Onalaska is by far and away, forget teams in Appleton, Oshkosh, Milwaukee, Green Bay, Madison, forget all those teams. Onalaska is the biggest obstacle to Central reaching the state tournament and vice versa. Ana and Central, and it sucks for both teams because they play in the same side of the bracket. But man, on Alaska is a good team. We got to take a break. When we come back, I want to continue this conversation. Wrap up the Wisco Sports Show next on WKTY. Final segment of the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in as always. My name is Grant Bills. You can follow me on Twitter at Grant. Keep up with what I'm doing and my awful opinions and takes and my sarcasm. You know, 90% of my tweets are sarcasm. Today, uh, the Michigan State head coach, uh, is it Mark D'Antonio, uh, stepped down. Very, very surprising. And I joked that, man, Kobe King leaving Wisconsin is is really sending shockwaves throughout the entire Big Ten. So before anybody calls me an idiot, yes, I understand they're not connected. It's funny. It's humor. 
Follow me on Twitter at KeyStrokerGrant. I love to argue online. It's one of my favorite hobbies. So get in there. Also follow us all at WKTY to stay up to date with everything that's going on with Dave, with Scrady, with myself. Uh, we just had a great chance to talk to Evan Flood, and if you missed that conversation, or if you don't know Evan, I think the best way to describe it, he's a Wisconsin insider for CBS, uh, for 24-7 sports. He covers uh, Prep Hoops for Prep Hoops Wisconsin. The best way to sum up what Evan does is wherever the big game is, that's where he is. Like When Central and Alaska play, he is here. When Sun Prairie or fill in the blank, when the when the big marquee matchup is going on, he's there. He's making the rounds around the state, talking to coaches, talking to players, getting the inside scoop on all these teams, and he has been doing so for years. So as he said, he's been watching Johnny Davis since fifth grade. Right? He's he's seen these players for years and years and years. And we had a great conversation about Saturday's game against Minnehaha and, and maybe the difference in in Jalen Suggs and Johnny Davis, the differences in their games. And maybe how Jalen Suggs is a bit more advanced in his skill, in his playmaking, in his passing. And Johnny Davis, and he was tremendous at it on Saturday. Sometimes he can he just bully people because he can. But one thing that, and I would push back on Evan a little bit, and I didn't want to get into an argument. I wanted to hear what Evan had to say. I didn't have him on just to listen to myself talk. I, I would have pushed back on what Evan had to say about Johnny's skill and his playmaking ability. I, I think over the last two years, Johnny has gone from a bully a bruiser, to a guy who, yeah, he can get in the paint and bang down low, but if you watch Johnny Davis, he has an incredible pull-up mid-range jumper. He's very confident going to it. And sometimes he'll go to it and you're like, man, don't settle for that. Oh, okay, yep, that went in, never mind. Shots that you wouldn't normally, hand in your face, along to not a smart, efficient shot, but he's so good at it. And he gets to his spots and he rises up. Evan talking a little bit about how Johnny Davis needs to become a little bit more complete, and he can do that at Wisconsin. He can do that even the rest of this season and in the offseason and this summer. Needs to add a couple of things to his game. And we were so entranced by Johnny Davis on Saturday, making the big play, the explosive play, the physical play. Meanwhile, Jalen Suggs is just making it look so easy, so smooth. And I think it was so easy and it was so smooth that at times we really didn't even notice it. It just looked like a guy going about his business. Not necessarily huge, flashy, highlight plays, but really, really good plays nonetheless. And the type of plays that a top 10 prospect or a future lottery pick might make, as Evan said. If you missed that conversation, that really, really stinks. But don't worry, you can find it at WKTYsports.com and on our mobile app or wherever you're listening to your podcasts. I'll I'll post it just after 6 o'clock. Evan, uh, always love having him on. He's always going to and from games, going to and from practices in Madison, in Milwaukee, in lacrosse. And he finds himself here from time to time because this is such a hotbed of really, really good basketball. For those of you who are listening that might be slightly disappointed that we talked so much about Central today and not on Alaska, I apologize. And I'll admit, I'm a huge lacrosse Central fan. When these two teams played a couple of weeks ago, I was cheering for Onalaska. Like, I wasn't jumping up and down, but I was like, man, I, I kind of hope Onalaska wins. Because I want the stakes to be lifted up in this rivalry. I want the stakes to be higher. And when Central wins three games in a row, like they did last season, it starts to feel a little bit one-sided. As good as Onalaska was, until they actually break through and, and win one of those games, is it really a rivalry, right? And this year, in the first matchup, Onalaska able to get Central... I think that was great for the rivalry. I think it's great for local basketball, and it's super, super exciting. We often find ourselves talking about Central, 
because they have the star power, because they have the big name, Johnny Davis, Jordan Davis, who are going to be at Wisconsin, Terrence Thompson, who it looks like might end up at a school like Green Bay or Milwaukee. And and Evan even mentioned uh, even mentioned Devon Fielding, right? And Noah Compton, some other really good players. Big name players who we know. Meanwhile, on Alaska, they have tremendous players. McGrath is fantastic. Dakota Mantle is fantastic. Right, uh, Sam Kick is great, as is Terrell Stutley, who's one of my favorite players because I just love the way he plays. I wish he would come play at UWL because I think he'd be perfect. Onalaska is a great team. Central has a great player or two. Now, both teams, I think, can get to the state championship and win it, but it's a little bit easier to talk about Central and have conversation about Central because they're names and faces and stories that we know. So I apologize to Onalaska fans because I realized that you just beat Central and you're the number one team in the state, and that is for a good reason. And I watched on on Saturday. People talked to me before the game. Man, Lakeville North's really good. I, how, how do you think this game's going? I said, Onalaska's going to kill them because they're that good. And they did. And they are that good. And we'll talk about Onalaska a lot. But today, we had to talk about Central, Johnny Davis, and Kobe King. And, and I appreciate the time uh, that Evan Flood gave us. Find that podcast. Listen to that conversation. WKTYsports.com or on our mobile app. Tomorrow, we're going to continue all these conversations and look at the NBA trade deadline. Same time, same place. Talk to you then.